Wow, you guys are so excited for the word of the Lord. Um, hi, everyone. My name's Sarah, um, and I serve at guest services here at City. If you, no one's told you yet, welcome to City Church. Um, today I'll be reading from James 1, 22 through 27, and 2, 14 through 26. So follow along. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Before we jump in this morning, I gotta say a special happy birthday shout out to my beautiful bride. I'm not allowed to say how old she is, but I just want you to know it's a significant birthday. And so it might be 40, it might be not. I don't know, I wonder what it is, but um, come on now, yeah. She keeps all of this going and moving. You don't realize behind the scenes. And so I'm taking a minute to honor you. Love you, babe. If you got your Bibles, James is where we're gonna be, second week of James. If you remember last week, uh, we're kind of working through the book of James, but James jumps around, wisdom sayings kind of here or there, so it doesn't really read chronological, and so we're gonna kind of, uh, kind of follow the themes and patterns of James. And today's specific passage, specifically what Sarah just read, uh, is one of those passages that you have to kind of wrestle through a tension. And, and I've just learned over the years, for whatever reason, tensions can be really hard to manage because we want things to be black and white in life. We just like, tell me what you, where you stand, yes or no, just tell me where it is. And, and tensions, 
Like I have this rubber band up here for, for a second. So you think about this rubber band. To hold something in tension, right, you have to be holding both sides of it. You, you can't let one side go. And so two things can be true that's simultaneously, and they're held in tension. And, and that really is what we're gonna wrestle with this morning. And, and again, the time and period where we live in, people struggle to hold things in tension. And in this age of outrage, we take limited information and we just want it to be really clear and we don't want things to be muddled and we don't want it to be gray at all. We want it to be clear. But holding things in tension takes a lot of maturity and takes a lot of wrestling. And scripture is full of tensions. And so we live in the already but not yet, which means God's kingdom has come, but God's kingdom will come in its fullness. How many know that's a tension that we actually live in? Jesus walked in both grace and truth. That's a tension. How many know that's a hard one? Like if you don't wrestle with that all the time, I'm not sure if you love Jesus. Like how do you stand up for truth, but at the same time, like Jesus loved unconditionally. Jesus never compromised one for the other. He was the full embodiment of grace and truth, and all of us aspire to that, but how many know we don't always get it right? And then this morning, James is going to lead us to this tension of faith and works. And so many people wanna lean towards one of the others, and I've preached on this quite a bit through over the years. They're gonna put this picture on the screen. Um, <clears throat> I, I think this, we, we love a good ditch. Come on now. You're driving down the road, and it's so easy uh, to get in one ditch or the other. In fact, most of the New Testament is the, the writers of the New Testament trying to get the church and the people of God out of a ditch. Like, they just overcorrected, or they've gotten out of balance. And like, think of the book of Galatians. Like, Paul is pretty forward in the book of Galatians. He's like, yeah, you've lost your way, church. You started with the gospel, but now you're going toward man-made rules and regulations. You're in a ditch, and you need to come back. And so what we do, though, a lot of times is we overcorrect. That's the tendency. You overcorrect. So think of it like this. Uh, someone, a lot of young people say this. You know what? I love that the church focuses on prayer and spiritual formation, but what are we doing to bring cultural change around us? What are we bring, doing, doing to bring justice into our world? That's a good question, right? But what happens is we go from one ditch to the other ditch. Now we have a social justice gospel that where we're not being inwardly transformed by the Spirit, we just wanna have outward transformation in our communities and cities. And there's a place in the middle where God is inwardly transforming us through the work of the Spirit and prayer and spiritual formation, and then we walk out of these doors and bring renewal to the, to the city around us. Are you with me? But we love ditches. And it's so easy when you're wrestling with attention to kind of overcorrect and get into one versus the other. And honestly, I'm, I'm gonna do something that's a little bit weird this morning. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen this done in a church before. Some of you, it's gonna make you extremely uncomfortable, but that's cool. Sometimes you need to be uncomfortable at church, all right? I'm gonna read two passages to you that seem to contradict each other, and then we're gonna wrestle through it, all right? It's gonna be awesome. If Paul and James were in this room with us this morning, I think we would have a lively debate, a lively discussion, because they have a tendency to see kind of the same coin from a different side. Romans 4, one through three, Paul says this, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So please stop with me for a second. 
James and Paul are addressing different people, different crowds who have different struggles. And they're gonna take the story of Abraham and focus on a different aspect of it. So Paul is saying, when was Abraham justified before God? Was it when he walked in obedience by, by laying Isaac down to be sacrificed? Or was it when Abraham believed and then the obedience was just a result of the belief? Paul's gonna make the, the suggestion to the people of God that it was when Abraham believed God. He was made righteous, all right? James sees it differently. James chapter two, verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. What is going on here? What's happening? And people were like, okay, who's right? And I think the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. They're taking two sides of the same coin and kind of focusing in on it for their audience. And Paul's saying, do we believe that justification happens through faith in God and it's a free gift of God's grace? The answer is yes. Do we believe that Jesus also taught that if you have a genuine faith in God, that your actions and life will bear fruit? The answer is yes. In fact, Jesus will several times all throughout the New Testament, if you're living a life and there's no fruit, maybe you should go back to the source to see whether or not it's a genuine encounter and belief in God. And we see this, and how many know tensions can be messy, but it's okay. It's okay for it to be messy. It's okay to be uncomfortable for a minute. Maybe this is a tension, honestly, in our life that's never fully resolved. Maybe we have to live in this tension of we're justified by faith, but at the same time, the work of sanctification and becoming like Jesus is an ongoing process our whole life that the Spirit allows us continually to look more like Jesus. The teachings of Jesus are filled with God's overwhelming, amazing grace and a radical call to obedience and discipleship. How many know Jesus did both? Jesus sat down and ate with people that would offend you. He did. And at the same time, in John 6, he looks back at a bunch of consumers that have been following him for a long time because they want to see miracles and eat bread and fish and all the things again. And he says, it's time for you to decide, are you with me or not? Are you going to take all of me? How many know Jesus did both of those? Walked in grace and truth. Unashamedly here, the grace of God poured out on people, you and I, that were least deserving and at the same time was willing to call these same people to come and follow him with everything. Amen? Attention that we live in. Here's the danger zone, according to James, though, because we're in the book of James, so we're gonna follow James in his argument here. James would say, here's the danger zone, is believers who claim to have a relationship with God, you go to church, you read your Bible, you do all of things, you check the box, but you actually don't practice obedience in your life. This is the danger zone. The danger zone is selective obedience, selective discipleship when you kind of pick or choose what you want, how many know that's not a thing in scripture? Like he's either Lord of all or Lord of nothing. You can't be partial Lord of your life, right? You don't get to choose the way. And this is what, what I think James is getting to. You, you can't have a divided heart, divided loyalties. Your, your heart can't be divided. Some of you don't know this about Pastor Matt, uh, but I went to college to play tennis. I know I don't look like an athlete, but it happened. Um, 
And so I, I got pretty good my junior, some second state, my senior year of high school, lost to Jinx in the state finals. That's why I still hate to this day, the Jinx Trojan, sorry. I uh, went to Moore High School at that time in Oklahoma City area. And so lost to them, but was getting recruited by a few big schools. I was a little bit undersized, and so only had a couple D1 offers, but a lot of D2 offers, and was trying to figure out what to do with my life. Really felt like I was called to full-time ministry, and so decided, like, maybe I'll play tennis to pay for some college, but I already know what I want to do. I feel called. And so I was looking at Bible colleges, came up, visited ORU here, and I remember sitting in the the, the tennis coach's office here at ORU. And he kind of looked at me and he was like, hey, if you're already gonna be here for school, maybe, maybe we can get you on partial scholarship or maybe you could walk on, but I just need to know that you're 100% in this. Are you in this? Do you want this? And the whole time I'm thinking, nope. <laughs> and I knew deep down inside, like that was a season of my life, but now I knew I was gonna be a mediocre at best collegiate athlete and I already know what I wanted to do with my life. And he was like, man, before I take this chance on you, I just need to know, like, are, do you wanna do this? And I'm like, no, I don't. I think I'm gonna be a student. And he looked at me and he was like, I appreciate your honesty. You know, <laughs> you're not gonna be on the team. I think about that with divided loyalties, right? Divided heart. It's like you're, you're kind of split and Paul, Paul kind of, used, or excuse me, James uses this example. He's like, imagine you look into a mirror of the perfect law. And what he's saying is you peer into God's perfect law and you see how you were designed and how God made you. And then you walk away from the mirror and you immediately forget what you look like. Like that's what believers are doing. That's, that's who he's writing to. He's like, immediately you walk away from the mirror. You don't remember who you are. You don't remember this life that God's called you to. You cannot do that as a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, it demands that our actions align with our confession. I wanna look at three aspects of James's call to obedience, how he calls us to a, a, a faith and works paradigm in our life. Number one is this, the motivation for obedience. What is our motivation for obedience? James chapter one, verse 25, it says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be, say this word with me, they will be blessed in all that they do. I think one of the reasons that we should be motivated to obey is because we wanna please our Heavenly Father. How many know when you love somebody, you wanna please them, right? You wanna do things that, I, I love this person, I don't wanna grieve them, I wanna glorify them with my life, but then it goes on in, in the book of James to say, guess what, there will be blessing in obedience. Do we really believe that? That's, that's hard. How many know it's easy to obey whenever what you're being asked to do aligns with what you already want to do? Come on now. How many know it's hard to obey when you don't want to do what you think that you're supposed to do or need to do? That's really when it, you have to decide who's Lord of my life. Will I obey when it's not convenient, when my flesh is fighting against it? And he says there's blessing in obedience the motivation for obedience, number two, is this, the freedom in obedience. Do we see God's perfect law, the word of truth, as something that brings freedom or something that is restrictive? This is something, especially young people or people who are younger in their faith, I think this is such a key thing because so many people look at God's word and they're like, it, it restricts me in so many areas of my life and I would be here to say it doesn't restrict you in any areas of your life. God's laws and rules and restrictions bring life, not death. 
In fact, Paul, in the book of Corinthians, he's like, look around at the world. They are flying this, wa- this, this, this uh, flag, of, and they're saying, look how free we are because we can do whatever we want to do. I, if I feel it, if, I, if my stomach is hungry for it, guess what? I'm going to go eat it. And Paul says, that's actually not freedom. It's fake freedom. It's slavery. You're enslaved to the things of this world. You want to be free? Walk in the middle of God's design for you and just find out whether blessing follows you or not. But the question is, do we actually trust God enough to believe that? Do I believe that God is so sovereign and good, excuse me, and loving that if I actually do that, it leads to life? How many know you, you, you almost have to do it to find out? You walk in obedience and find out whether or not blessing and life follows you. Our Western society sees freedom as the absence of restrictions. If you wanna be free, remove all of the constraints But if you're following along in your notes, according to scripture, freedom is not the absence of constraint, but rather the right constraints that enable us to flourish as God designed. Again, this is a lordship issue in your life. We can't declare that he's Lord of our lives, that we live in the kingdom of God and not allow God to rule, right? It's a lordship issue. It's the right constraints that God puts in our life in order to lead us to life, but do we trust God with our obedience? The easy, the low-hanging fruit on this, as an example, is sexuality in our culture, right? At the end of James, I'm gonna do a two-week intensive called God and Sexuality. We're gonna do our first ever forum during the week where people can come during the week, they can uh, ask specific questions about sexuality because how many know it's a hot topic that we have to wrestle with, right? In, order, in regards to sexuality, here, the perfect example is that a God-designed, God-honoring sexuality is completely countercultural in the world that we live in. The world says sexually throw off all restraints and pursue your desires, and ultimately your desires will lead you to who you are and the best version of yourself. Did I get anything wrong there? Is that pretty much it? God's design says live within his design for us and experience true life and freedom. So which group is really experiencing freedom? Is it the people that are following their desires or the people that are submitting themselves to God's design? Um, That's a question that you and I, in the time that we live in, we have to wrestle with. Do I trust in God's goodness? And do I trust that if I'm obedient, even when it's difficult, it leads to life? Uh, We have two kids now in middle school, two still in elementary school, Uh, Parents in the room, let me tell you, there's no perfect way of doing this, excuse me, there's no perfect way of raising your kids, there's different ways of doing this, and so let me just tell you, this is kind of our approach, it doesn't have to be yours, Um, but when our kids get to middle school is when they get a phone, and this is because they go to a large public school, they're in practice, and like baseball, palm, basketball, all these things, and so getting a way to get a hold of mom and dad before and after practice is when we decided, like, okay, you're gonna have a phone, Um, but they don't have social media, yet, right? And they see their friends that have social media, they see their cousins, all these things, and so questions come up like, can we, when, when do we get that? And let me tell you, social media can be a good thing, right? But also as adolescent, it's um, hurting a lot of our young people who um, find their identity in it, they're so insecure because of what's being posted, there's places of secrecy and hiding on there, there's, you know, obviously a, a lot of things that can happen, right, through social media, both good and bad. And even on my recent trip with my oldest son, Jackson, it kind of got brought up again of like, hey, when do you think I'll be able to have these certain things? And I looked at him and I said, hey, I've told you this before, 
but your mom and I are never gonna put stupid arbitrary rules in your life. How many know stupid rules are meant to be broken? I think Jesus had a problem with stupid rules. Like you don't even know why you're doing that anymore. You're doing it because somebody said, no, I wanna put rules in your life that direct your heart towards God. And if it's not directing your heart towards God, guess what, we'll get rid of it because it's stupid and it doesn't matter, right? If it's not scripturally based or leading your heart to the heart of God. And so I'm not gonna do that to you. But I did look at him and I say, there's gonna be things in your life sometimes you won't understand. And you're gonna have to trust that your dad is good. You're gonna have to trust that nobody wants you to flourish in life more than me. And I'm actually not keeping you from something. I'm blessing you with something. But you can't see it in the moment, right? You with me? How many know there are times where we don't see the blessings of God in our obedience? God, how could this restriction actually lead to my flourishing in life? And I think the Heavenly Father sometimes looks at us and says, do you trust me? Do you trust me with your finances? I know that maybe not what you wanna do, but do you trust me? Do you trust me with your time? Do you trust me with your dating relationships? Do you trust me with this? Yes, will it be sacrificial? Sometimes is it hard? Yes, but do you trust me? Do we really believe that there's freedom and blessing in obedience? I believe there is. I believe there is. The motivation for obedience, the freedom in obedience, and the third last one is this, the evidence of obedience. The evidence, obedience is actually transformational. You don't just experience the blessings of God by knowing it, you have to live it. And as you walk out obedience in your life, you begin to experience the blessings of God. How, how do I know this? Jesus tells a story exactly about this. He says, guess what? All of us in life, the rains are gonna come and the winds are gonna blow, right? A little too soon for us in Oklahoma after that. Us. The winds are gonna blow. Nobody is immune from that. But let me tell you a story about two different people, one whose house got washed away and one who stood. One was built on sand and the other person was built on rock. You know what Jesus said the difference was? Not that both heard the word and accepted it, but one heard the word of God and what? Put it into practice. You don't get to experience the blessings just by knowing about it. We're checking the box. You experience the blessings of God by actually walking in obedience, and as you walk out the obedience, guess what? God changes and shapes you and changes your circumstances and blesses you. Do we really believe it? Do we believe the evidence of obedience? And James would go on, and James, again, kind of jumps around in chapters one and two here. That's why it doesn't kind of read exactly chronological, but he jumps around and he says, if the evidence and some of the evidence of your works or the fruit in your life is your life is gonna look different from the world. You can't look just like the world and live in God's kingdom. Then he goes on and says, your tongue, the power of your words. How many know that's a, that's a big one for James? You as a follower of Jesus have the ability to speak life and not death. And Pastor Rachel is gonna pick up right here next Sunday with the power of our words. And then he goes on, and I wanna focus on this in the next few minutes we have. James would say, how do you treat the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed? He would go on and say, guess what, religion that is pure and faultless, right? What do you do for the orphan and widow? If you're taking notes, a life of obedience always moves God's people towards the margins of society. Our work should move us towards the defenseless, the vulnerable, and the powerless. This is a huge part of what James talks about in his book. 
If it's not moving us towards these people, it's not a genuine gospel in our life. Is it moving us towards somebody who, guess what? They can do nothing for you. Nothing for you. He says the orphan and the widow. Why did James pick the orphan and the widow? Because no one was as powerless as those two groups of people. Are you with me? The orphan in that time, there was no state-mandated you know, welfare system in place to help govern this. If people, the people of God did not step into the life of an orphan, guess what? They would not survive. As a widow, a woman in the first century, if your husband died, you had no opportunity to make money. You were completely dependent on other people. James looks and says, guess what? These people can't do anything for you, but you, the people of God, are called to them. The defenseless, the powerless. James is gonna go on to tell a really uncomfortable story. James wouldn't told the story unless they were struggling with it. He says, a wealthy man, great clothes, walks into a room. A poor man, shabby clothes, walks into the room, walks into the church. How do you treat those two groups of people? Because the wealthy man can do something for you. Do you give him special privileges? Oh, we've got a seat right up front and center just for you. You're special. And the person who doesn't look the part, we're like, yeah, there's a place in the back. Find, find your seat. James says, how you treat those people matter, right? Now, this is not news to you. We spent 13 years at the ballet right down the street from here in an urban area. Plenty of people walking through our doors who are in need. How many know we are strategically located at a spot right here where there is a lot of need, amen? And that excites us. What an opportunity it is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. All throughout the week, people walking in these doors. Every Sunday, if I did a, like a spiritual gift assessment for you, I'm just being honest with you. Like compassionate mercy ministry for me is like negative. I really struggle with it. You know why? Because I don't like my day being interrupted. I'm just being honest. I don't like interruptions. And the Holy Spirit has worked on that with me. You have to be interruptible, right? Be interruptible. And so because I'm not naturally good at this, guess what, it doesn't mean I'm off the hook. It actually means I have to be more intentional because I don't naturally move towards it. I wish I did, I just don't. So me, what I've done since we've, especially since we've moved into this building is the first time somebody walks in the door and they either look out of place or there's obvious that there's a need in their life, I go straight to that person. That person naturally will feel forgotten, neglected, ignored, like they're just in the way. I want them to feel the most valued person when they walk into this place. I want you to hear me, City Church, because this is not just up to me, our staff, or a few people on our benevolence team. This is you. What if every one of us treated them that way? Whatever time I have with you, whether it's 15 minutes or two minutes, I wanna add value to your life. I wanna give you dignity and value and worth because guess what? The image of God, the Imago Dei, lives in you. And you're not an inconvenience. You are a blessing. And we're glad that you're here. I don't know, even know if they're in the room today. I embarrass them. I think, I think they're here first service. Andrew and Daylene Nimick sit out every week in the lobby. I'll go engage somebody that I know needs help. They know that I don't have an hour to sit there with them because I'm doing things on Sunday morning. And so they immediately go to those people. Sometimes they will sit with them for hours and just hear them and just listen. Sometimes they'll go to the store and buy things for them. Last week we had a gentleman 
Luke lives under the uh, overpass here, came in, came into service with him. It was beautiful, loved it. How many know it's okay for us to be uncomfortable in the body of Christ? In fact, sometimes I think we need to get a little uncomfortable in the church. That's okay. Family is messy, right? Family's uncomfortable. We, we invite people in that don't look like us that maybe naturally wouldn't, wouldn't gravitate towards because guess what? Jesus is enough, right? We can say it with our words, but do we live it? Will I go to those people? A couple years ago, some of you guys know this, I lead an organization in Tulsa called Unite My City. We bring pastors and churches together. I'm so passionate about this because number one, pastors are really lonely people. They're really lonely. They, they long for friendship, places where they can be fully known and fully loved. And number two, our city changes when churches work together. And I love that. And Lindsay and I just hosted at our house a few weeks ago, pastors around our city We just brought their families over and we swam and ate together. And let me tell you, watching these pastors now say, hey, will you come speak at my church and I'll speak at your church and we could work together on this and what if, we, and just like leaning in and we have this text thread now with pastors of people who are just like, hey guys, I want you to know I'm about to walk into a very difficult time and this is a church down the street from us and I'm praying for you because I believe in you and you're not my competition, amen? I could go on and on a long time about that, so it's not what this story's about. <laughs> so a couple years ago, we were hosting a luncheon. Pastor Alex Battle Creek was hosting for us. And I remember walking into a room and I, I think I, I knew almost every pastor in that room, 40, 50 people. And I saw an older lady at the corner of my eye and I still remember this so vividly because the Holy Spirit was like, I want you to go to her. I want you to go to her. And it's so easy when you walk into a room just to go to the people you know, the people you're comfortable with. We can make some chit chat, right? Have fun, like these are all my friends. But the Holy Spirit had already been dealing with me about walking into a room and going towards the people that I don't know, that are a little bit uncomfortable for me that maybe don't fit right in the middle of who I would naturally gravitate towards to, right? And this older lady, African-American woman, pastor in our city, it took a lot of courage for her to walk into a room mostly of white men, pastors. And she walked into this room because she wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And I remember sitting at her table, and I'm, I don't wanna embarrass her, I'm not gonna give her a name or a church, but it just, I spent the next hour, hour and a half talking to her and being able to invite some of the other pastors and I even told her, I said, thank you so much for being here today. You can look around the room. Uh, there's not a whole lot of other people, right, like you in this room, but you showed up. And I got to know her. And through our Unite My City, I've got to know her better and better. Can it be uncomfortable? Yes. Is there blessing in it? Yes. Of getting out of our comfort zone. And sometimes being uncomfortable. And maybe going towards people that, that aren't like us. How many know there's beauty in that? I think James goes on, he says, our faith has to move us outside to the more, most vulnerable, those who need us. That's why we're really passionate around 111 Project and Care Portal. We have been fighting for the orphans in our city and our state for 13 years now. How I many know we've seen incredible transformation in the welfare system in the state of Oklahoma? Incredible. I mean, it, it is remarkable what God is doing. We have still a long way to go. God's doing awesome things. Those are people that if we don't step into their story, right? How many of you can't do everything, can you? I'm, I'm preaching to myself. 
but you can do something. My wife and I feel called to Tulsa Public Schools. We talked about that, that's not a call for everybody. We want for every kid in our city what we have for our kids. And honest, honestly, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ticked right now. <laughs> I am, we are, and this is not the platform for that. <laughs> But I want every one of those kids, those 30,000 kids in our city, people who say, they don't have a voice, I'll be your voice. Somebody's gotta fight for you, right? You're caught in this political game right now in our state, and I'm sorry, because you deserve better. We can't do everything, but we have to do something. What is God calling us to? To the homeless, to the single mom and dad, to the person living on your street? This week, filling the void moved into the back of our building. We have a vision one day where the whole back of our building is full of partners and resources to help those in need. So this Wednesday, we'll start our first serving the homeless food, going out with sack lunches, Arby's, Chick-fil-A, there's all kinds of things in there, and going to be in the hands and feet of Jesus, and as we just give out lunch, can I pray for you? We're doing that next Sunday as well. We're gonna start with two to three times a month, a couple thousand meals. How many know we can't do everything, but we can do something, amen? We can do something. We can start where we're at. And I just think James looks and he says, man, we can't just talk. We can't just be hearers of the word. We gotta be doers, doers of the word. Where are we taking the gospel? Where are we taking it? And let me say, City Church, what if every person in this room saw it as their responsibility? What would change in your neighborhood and your job in our church. No, that's my, that's my responsibility. If you would this morning, stand your feet with me across this room. I wanna end by reading James 2, 14 through 17. Don't let it be just words. I want you to meditate on what James is saying. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What a great reminder for the church, the body of Christ. We're called to a life of obedience, a life of bearing fruit. The motivation for obedience, the freedom in obedience, and the evidence of obedience in our life. And then James says, as we live that out, guess what? It's gonna take you to the margins. It's gonna take you to people in need. Maybe there's a reason that Jesus bypassed the rulers and leaders and politicians of his time, and he took a bunch of outcasts up on a hill and he said, blessed are you, the kingdom is yours. Think about it. It wasn't to the elite or the powerful, it was to the broken. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. It's yours. Father, we thank you for your word in our lives that changes us and shapes us, Father. We thank you for these challenging words from the letter of James. God, to speak to our lives as we take inventory this morning of our own life, God, and if there's anything that doesn't align, anything we're holding on to, if we've practiced selective obedience or kind of followed our own way in some areas, Father, 
God, we repent and we turn to you. We give you everything. Father, help us move towards those who are in need. God, that we would get out of our comfort zones in the church. We we wouldn't be overwhelmed by just being comfortable or going towards people who are like us, but God, we would go with the gospel into places and relationships that you've called us to. To love, to serve, to give, to sacrifice, Father. God, I pray that you would continue to develop a culture in this church of treating everybody with worth and dignity and value in the image of God that we would humble ourselves before the cross, that we are nothing without Jesus, and that we would give freely from what you've done inside of us, we pray. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If you would, just right where you're at, prepare yourself to come to the table this morning. look to the screens. We're going to say our table liturgy together. If you would repeat this with me. For the weary, the table is our rest. For the burdened, the table is God's embrace. For the sick, the table is heaven touching earth. For the doubting and confused, the table is God's mystery revealed. For the bitter and hurting, the table is God taking our pain. For the anxious and worried, the table is our immovable hope. For the divided and disconnected, the table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table, we declare, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. In just a minute, we're gonna come to the table together where we remind ourselves who we are in Christ, that we're not what divides us and we're not our differences. We come together as a family because we need Jesus, amen? We recenter our life around the gospel. If you don't know Jesus today in this room, we invite you to come and take Jesus as Lord and Savior today. That he loves you, he gave his life for you, and today you can take that and begin to live in that. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you as often as you eat this. Do this in remembrance of me. I will be ripped apart so that you can be made whole and be put back together. And then Jesus took the cup, the blood shed for you and I, that one day you and I will stand before the creator of the universe and how many know he will not see our sin, but he will see the blood that has cleansed us and washed us through the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. One more time, I'm gonna invite the communion team to come and prepare. If you would bow your heads with me one more time. We're just gonna center our hearts today on him. Father, we thank you in this moment. We wanna receive whatever you have to give us this morning. God, some of us come to the table broken, and some come overjoyed, but we all come in need of your grace, your love, and your goodness. Your grace that empowers us to live out a life of obedience, to walk in humility and love towards others. And God, I just thank you that this is a thin space, a place where heaven and earth collide, and whatever somebody needs in this space this morning, would you meet them there? Would you draw them in? Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your goodness and your love and your word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.